This is a Federal News Network podcast. Homeland Security is moving ahead with a new concept for managing risks to parts of the U.S. economy. Instead of focusing on individual sectors, DHS is now assessing the most critical functions and the technologies that support them. For more Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And let's talk about national critical functions. That's a longer list, right, than of the sectors that perform those functions, Justin? Right. There are 16 critical infrastructure sectors that most people are probably broadly aware of, electricity, water, and things like that. Functions, national critical functions are broader. The National Risk Management Center at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has defined a set of 55 functions to guide a new risk management framework for the the nation, as they as they say, and they cut across all 16 sectors in one way or another. And so the center has spent the last year or so really drilling down into those 55 functions. That's according to a December 15th status update from Bob Kalaski. He's the director of the center. And so for folks' awareness, you know, functions are things like connecting functions, operating internet networks, uh, distribution functions, things like distributing electricity, managing things like elections and cyber incidents, and then then supplying things like chemicals and housing and and all sorts of things. So it's a pretty broad list, as I mentioned, of 55 functions. CIS has spent the past year further broadening out that list into sub-functions. There are now 294 primary sub-functions and more than 1,000 secondary sub-functions. So CISA, the National Risk Management Center, is really drilling down into the details of, of this, this risk management approach. Where they might get lost down in there. You can go pretty far with, with what constitutes risk. I spoke with Jim Lewis about, about this new approach to, to managing risk using functions instead of just looking at specific sectors. He gives them a methodology for managing risk. So it's not just ad hoc anymore. It's not just sort of whatever they feel like that week. It's it's very systematic. It goes through all the threats. It's professionalizing the risk management function of DHS. Does this idea have any backing from Capitol Hill, Justin? It does, actually. House Homeland Security ranking member uh, John Katko, Republican from New York, is actually sponsoring a bill that would have CISA define systemically important critical infrastructure, not just looking at all critical infrastructure, but what's really the most important, what things underpin uh the nation and and the functioning of of the nation. And so the bill would provide the agency with the ability to define that systemically important infrastructure. And then it would also require them to provide SICKI owners, that's what they're calling it, SICKI, with front-of-the-line services for technical assistance from CISA. John Katko spoke at an October event uh, hosted by the Center for Strategic and International Studies about his bill. And it starts with identifying what really is systemically important critical infrastructure. If everything is sicky, if you want to say, then nothing really is sicky. So we got to drill down and with the input from the private sector, drill down in a collaborative manner to identify what's truly critical and then dedicate additional resources to those sectors so that we can at least be as sure as we possibly can be that those sectors are are as secure as they can be from ransomware attacks and cyber intrusions. 
And that's upstate New York Congressman John Katko. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. So does that mean then, Justin, that CISA is waiting for legislation to go ahead with this concept on their hundreds and hundreds of critical functions? They're actually trying to operationalize it without legislation. Uh, You know, they've defined the critical functions, as we mentioned, and they're starting to run risk assessments uh, against them for things like climate change and, you know, electromagnetic pulse attacks and things like that. CISA director Jen Easterly spoke at that CSIS event as well and talked about how they're just they're not going to wait for legislation. We're going to move forward and do it, whether it ends up in legislation or not. But I think that signaling that ending up in law will be very helpful in continuing to bring the private sector to the table, because I think you know we're, we're in a state now where our critical infrastructure is much more vulnerable than it should be. And frankly, that's what I worry about most every day. Now, it took Homeland Security, and that was Jen Easterly, the head of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. It took Homeland Security years to get around to the 16 sectors and try to get some form of communication with them. It seems like it's going to be an enormous challenge for them to understand all of these functions that support those different categories of of the economy. Are they going to be up for it? What are the challenges here? Well, there's a lot, as as you point out. uh, And as Director Jen Easterly pointed out, they have to get the private sector to the table. They have to get state and local governments to the table because in the vast majority of instances, those are the organizations that are in charge of these critical infrastructure things, whether it's electricity or internet or cyber, what what have you. So essentially, they have to get all these partners into the National Risk Management Center to help them really drill down into the risks and do these assessments. They also have to then work with sector risk management agencies to take action on those assessments. The assessments are worthless if, if they don't take any action. I spoke with Jim Lewis from CSIS about those challenges as well. Some sectors do a really good job. Usually they're the heavily regulated ones, and other sectors don't. So when you look at telecom or finance, they're in pretty good shape. We saw what happened with pipelines and the voluntary guidelines, which have changed. So the big question is, what needs to be mandatory? When they when they run this model, it will tell them, here's where the risks are. And then you have to say, well, do we mandate a fix? Again, Jim Lewis, who, by the way, wrote the document, Cybersecurity for the 44th Presidency, when Barack Obama was coming into office. So he's been following this for quite a number of years there. But, Justin, Mm -hmm. did it come up in your reporting, the idea that a given function may involve multiple sectors? Let's say I'm making this up. A function is to get money in people's hands. Well, you've got ATMs to do that. So that's the banking and financial sector. It's the electricity sector and some degree, it's the transportation sector because ATMs are on paved roads and so on. Is that part of the thinking here at CISA? That is part of the thinking. And, you know, the update that Bob Klasky provides doesn't bring us into the the calculus and perhaps even the algorithms that are running through all of the different functions and how they underpin and cross each other. But but the thinking is that there are so many different cross-cutting things. Electricity supports just about every other critical infrastructure sector, of course. And electricity is supported by other critical infrastructure sectors. You know, water supports cloud computing centers and and so on for cooling. So I think the idea is to at least start looking at these cross-cutting issues and figure out, all right, how are they dependent on each other and what would be really bad? What's at the bottom of the stack that would 
cut out a whole lot of others. We should also mention that, you know, they're, they've defined some specific risks that cut across these functions, obviously cyber attacks, but also supply chain misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, um, natural hazards and climate change, pandemics, which we don't need to talk about any further, and terrorism are kind of the six broad categories. And then there's some shared vulnerabilities like chronic underinvestment, certain things, poor cyber hygiene, foreign dependencies. So they have started to define what exactly these risks entail. All right. Mama never said it would be easy. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.